0: Alright, welcome everybody to ANZ's Agri-Insights for June 2022, kicking into the winter months and we are feeling that uh, and seeing that across most landscapes already. Um, Our edition today will cover the usual ground of economics and some key commodities and uh, we look forward to exploring those in detail with our analysts As we go through the session, um, Adelaide Timbrell will be uh, commenting on economics, Uh, Michael Whitehead and Madeline Swan running through the commodities. And as far as an introduction today goes, um, gee, there's there's a lot going on and what is it that everybody's talking about? Well, it's pretty much the things that everybody always talks about, but it's somehow different these days, I think the, the world's a different place than it was three years ago. And I think a key difference for agri is that it feels like, by and large, we've sort of plateaued on a, an incredibly favourable set of circumstances. It, it, even though there are a number of things that we don't like and things that we are still worried about, and there are, of course, pockets where we still have some problems, whether it be the weather, access to market, a trade restriction, the labour shortage. All of these things are alive and well, but more so in pockets, but not overall. And um, and gee, when it comes to labour, and, and we're not talking about COVID as much anymore, but the absenteeism through a variety of workplaces is just playing havoc really on generalist and agri supply chains. So the behind the scenes element of our supply chain is is really still grappling with a lot of those issues um, and in general workplace flexibility and things perhaps playing a role as well. But um, with those with those challenges, I mean, it's just overlaid against a, an industry that's otherwise going from strength to strength. Very good couple of years in a row in a production sense, um, very strong demand playing out in domestic and international markets. Uh, so, so all of these things remain very good for farming. Costs are higher and rising, and that is one of those watching briefs. Um, but profitability is still strong. And as long as there's season, everything just looks really, really good. Um, obviously, we've had a general federal election. We've got a new government. Um, we've, we've got cost pressures all over the place. Um, we've got interest rates starting to rise now. Uh, We still have rising rural land prices, I would say, and, um, you know, that heat remains because confidence in general is still very strong, notwithstanding some of these cost pressures and things. Uh, Food price inflation is a very general Uh, news uh, story at almost every bulletin that you'll see and hear, Um, and, of course, that plays strongly to uh, retailing, processing you know, transport distribution and all the way back to the farm going in reverse. Um, commodity price is really good. The season has opened up pretty well, you'd have to say, as well. Now, the rain is getting in the way uh, in some of our summer program regions in the northern half of Australia, so that that's an issue. But um, we've otherwise got a very good set of circumstances in front of us. Um, COVID in the background for sure, and of course we have the um, Russia-Ukraine disruption playing out. And Now, there is a bit of commentary around how much of that is actually or to what degree is this influencing ultimate key markets, particularly in grains and fertiliser, which is a bit hard to see, but I think logically um, it's actually adding to the weight of general under supply and over demand that we're seeing across a range of commodities. Um, The other thing that's getting a lot of airplay and talk is sustainability for all the different uh, forms that might take or definitions you might think of. And uh, I think that's still very much a work in progress uh, in a lot of ways for for most parts. And, um, you know, probably no silver bullet solution at any point coming, but It's obviously top of mind for a a lot of people within Agri and outside when it comes to contributions to lowering emissions uh, for the future and what policy settings uh, should apply to some of that um, and also what is happening already in any case through the supply chain as consumers sort of demand uh, a different range of products that are produced in a, in a certain way. So these are all the things that are circulating, I think, that, um, and some of that will feature in the, in, the, in the commentary on commodities today, and also perhaps in our general update on the key economic indicators. And with that, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Adelaide Timbrell to talk economics. Thanks, Adelaide.
1: Thank you, Mark. So, when we look at the Australian economy right now, as you've already touched on, inflation and interest rates are really, really central to everything that's going on in the economy. So, what we saw in the March quarter, which is the latest data for the consumer price index, is that it rose 1.4% within a single quarter. And um, when we look at trimmed mean inflation, which is when you take out all the really volatile stuff, it was up 3.7% year on year, way above that 2% to 3% goal that the Reserve Bank has for uh, inflation. And so, as a result, we have seen interest rates have in Australia have started to rise. A lot of people think that the Reserve Bank was pretty slow compared to other countries to start hiking rates. And when we just look at cash rate hikes, that's probably true. But the Reserve Bank also actually started its tightening cycle last year uh, when it ended some of its unconventional monetary policy programs. So even though um, the first cash rate hike was in May of this year, we already saw quantitative easing ending, the term funding facility and yield curve control ending. All these things were what was making fixed rates in particular a lot cheaper than variable rates. And now we're seeing some of those increases in the cash rate start to come through as well. We think that the Reserve Bank will be pretty aggressive over the next 12 months and the uh, cash rate cycle to be over 2% by May 2023, and then eventually getting over 3% as um, the Reserve Bank, you know, steps back, has a look and see how things are going, and then continues to raise the interest rate if things are still uh, a little bit too hot in the economy. When we look at the impacts of inflation and those impending interest rates so far, what we're seeing is that it's having a big impact on consumer confidence, but not as big of an impact on spending. So, consumer confidence is really low coming into the interest rate tightening side. Um, that's because of the cost of living. We're seeing that wages are not keeping up with inflation right now, although um, increased wage pressure means that we will see that narrative flipped sometime next year. But even though people are worried and they are seeing that their wages aren't getting them quite as far at the moment, um, particularly when we look at you know 6.7% increase in fruit and vegetable pricing over the year to March, 35% increase in petrol pricing over the year to March, what we're seeing is that, people aren't spending more money in the retail sector or on household spending just because you know it takes more money to buy things we're also seeing that volumes are lifting as well so the amount of things that people are buying is actually lifted through to the March quarter in Australia the pullback in spending in Australia is likely to be delayed um, because even though things are getting more expensive and people do have a reason to pull back, um, people also have huge build up of savings in Australia. This is not just good for the household sector because it makes them less likely to go behind on their mortgages, get into arrears, pull back consumption. It's also really good for the business sector because What they have now is an opportunity to actually muddle through this high inflation and rising interest rate environment uh, in the period of time where the Reserve Bank is tightening the interest rate, but the inflation rate hasn't actually come down as a result yet. Um, they do have those spend that extra spending to fall back on because households are on average in really really good shape after covid in fact if covid had never happened we would have seen around 240 billion dollars less of household savings compared to what we're seeing now and not only that but the unemployment rate is very low it's around 50 year low actually at 3.9% as of april and we think it's going to go even lower through the year so people have a lot of savings they're also at very low risk of losing their job and not being able to find another one we're also seeing that business investment intentions for the next financial year are strong even though at the time of that last survey businesses did know those interest rates were going up so even though there are some definite you know negative um things coming, you know, higher cost of living at the same time as interest rates are rising, you know, that can feel like a hard landing is possible. And certainly in other countries like the US, for example, where inflation is a lot higher, the um, central bank is a lot more aggressive and there is a much higher risk of recession. In Australia, we've got strong savings, we've got a resilient household sector, we've got really low unemployment rate, and we've got um, pretty confident businesses. That's all going to keep us getting through it with some economic growth through the year. When we look at the Australian dollar and how that's going to impact us as well. We are seeing it a little bit at a low point at the moment, although um, we do think that the kind of differential in rates between the Australia, Australia and the US will eventually peak and then come back together, which will be a positive for the Australian dollar. And we do think that over the next 12 months, we will see the Australian dollar drifting upwards rather than downwards. And by the end of 2023, we are thinking somewhere in the top half of the 70s range there. So that'll be something that you know, it makes it a little bit easier to import things, makes it a little bit harder to export things. But we're certainly not expecting that really strong commodity um, prices in globally are going to push uh, the Australian dollar anywhere near parity this time around. And that's because the Australian interest rate is going to stay below the US interest rate during this first phase of the tightening cycle.
0: Okay, moving on to beef then, Uh, Michael Whitehead to the microphone. Hi, Michael. Um, What what do you make of the beef industry at the moment? I guess we've seen a continuation of supply-driven factors, but it is interesting when we look at the price points for beef, it's been spectacular, Uh, but it is one of those food items that may feature in the average uh, consumer's mind as they go and do their daily or weekly shop, Uh, overdue anyway to to cover the key points.
2: Thanks very much, Mark. You are absolutely right. If there are two big talking points in the beef industry at the moment, they are where will prices go from here after two such spectacular years of price rises and now plateauing, but what will be the impact of some of the economic changes? Let's start on the prices and we have seen, and everybody in the beef industry has been aware of the post drought price escalation, as uh, record after record was broken in the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator. Uh, The the ECI has sat for the past few months comfortably around or just above that thousand cents a kilo mark. And what we're looking at the moment is whether there are any reasons that that may start to go down. Uh, For the past few years, people have talked about a correction and talked about a correction. ANZ modeling, where we take into account a range of factors, including everything from currency to the weather, to the female slaughter rate, to the comparisons with the US herd, uh, to some of the growth forecasts for Australia – would really indicate to us that there is every likelihood that beef prices may be in a new normal, that the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator may stay this high, barring a drought or another black swan event for the next few years. So that is really gonna be something if it pans out, uh, which is gonna be something to play into the strategies of everybody from the restockers, uh, particularly for the feedlots who are going to have increased pressure from higher feed prices for the processors and for the consumers as well. And that's where it plays into the second part of things. As Adelaide has talked about, consumers are entering a new area of their thinking where uh, rises in interest rates will change things like their mortgage payments, will change how they view their household budgets, will change how they look at discretionary income. And this, as we've seen in previous times, does have an impact on what Australian consumers look at in terms of their beef purchases, in terms of which cuts they buy, in terms of which volumes they buy, and in terms of how much, for example, their beef purchases per week uh, balance out with things like their chicken purchases, their pork purchases and others. And there is some thought in the industry that this could be starting to bite in a way already, that people may be moving away from some of the premium cuts. And so we could see that change there. Overall, however, as the beef industry knows, the great balance and the great majority of beef production is still exported as well. So with export markets remaining strong, and they are continuing to look good, uh, particularly across the big four, the US, Japan, South Korea and China, uh, then that should bode well for prices staying reasonably high. So the outlook for beef at the moment, uh, the rain is continuing to fall, uh, maybe in in an annoying way in some areas, but in a way to keep feed good. So things are looking good on that side side. Demand is staying strong, particularly on the export side, which will continue to be good for prices and for, for producers particularly. But in terms of input costs, feed costs, particularly for feedlots and where consumers go, that could be something really worth monitoring over the rest of this year.
0: Well, that sounds very encouraging. Thank you. If I was a producer, I'd be feeling pretty good about that. And I guess the, the takeaway there might be amongst other things that just because prices have been lower before doesn't therefore follow that they will be lower again in the near term, medium term anyway, perhaps. Thank you. Now, dairy, it's been a, a tougher ride, but it's been better lately. And uh, we're seeing some really good price announcements come through the sector at the moment. And um, and weather conditions and water availability uh, is starting to uh, bolster Fortunes within dairy farming as well. Is this a, is this something that we can expect con- to continue, Michael, or uh, is it is it a,
2: an aberration for now? Look, absolutely. In terms of the prices at the moment, and you are completely correct, Mark, uh, the farm gate prices which are being offered to Australia's dairy producers in in all regions are at or around those record levels. Um, And that's certainly a benefit for them. This recognises that domestic demand is remaining strong, that export demand is lifting. Um, But perhaps overall, one of the biggest factors is that production, by and large, is remaining flat. There are Forecast that Australian dairy production will lift by one percent, but continuing to see that competition for dairy land uh, with beef land for dairy producers looking to offload uh, in a time of, of high land prices as well. So, so that's very much being impacted by supply, but in a way that's strong demand as well. And of those dairy products, the one that's really showing a, a, a good out, a good forecast for production is cheese. Uh, continuing to see an increasing demand for cheese, uh, particularly as consumers continue to come out of COVID. It feels like uh, the lockdowns are a fair way behind us, but consumer behavior uh, continues to go out a bit more, uh, explore a few more things they can buy, and cheese demand remains very strong. So that's absolutely one side of it. The other side of it, however, despite those record farm gate prices, as the dairy industry has highlighted, is the inputs. And perhaps more than most of the other main sectors, dairy really feels the impact of the inputs. Uh, The impact of fertilizer prices, and fertilizer availability we all know has been uh, high prices going up and availability getting tougher. Uh, The impact of fuel prices will particularly hit the dairy industry. The impact of grain prices as they go up spurred by global events will make it challenging for the dairy industry. And also labour. It is an industry of the animal ones that is particularly reliant on labour, and that is just uh, been quite a challenge for the industry at the moment. So, so overall, um, whilst production remains reasonably flat, while prices are high, and that is great news in one way for dairy farmers, that challenge remains of finding those margins, while the inputs and the labour challenges are still there very much.
0: All right, great. So whilst the well, some cost pressures probably a, a growing uh, economy again in our key markets points towards uh, strong possibilities, particularly as the production response uh, remains relatively benign. So again, for dairy, uh, feeling pretty decent about the short medium term outlook, I would say. Moving from the animals through to grains, Maddie, I might introduce you to the mic if I can to talk grains and I'll I'll open with a with a question that you can uh, answer I'm sure in your commentary and that is is it a question or a statement but but the question is well are high grain prices really all about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the production and 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 trade constraints that are, are flowing from that region or was there something else at play all along and some other macros that really point to high grain prices, uh, notwithstanding that uh, terrible humanitarian issue that we're seeing in Ukraine right now?
3: Thanks, Mark. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting question. And you'd have to say all signs at the moment point to the idea that really it is um, all the ripple effects coming out of the Ukraine at the moment, which is, is the major driving factor in um, global wheat prices but having said that there are some things that sit stick, stick, sit behind it that could also influence most particularly is the is the um the the closing gap between production and consumption. Now that's overplayed this year or this this coming year this forecast year 22 23 um, as we look to lose something like 12 million tons out of the ukraine um, some un, unforeseeable amount out of russia as well so so production is forecast to come back around about 0.6% which is a large which is actually a large drop when we look at um, what we generally see as increasing amounts each and every single year. Um, so that that is what is mainly sitting behind the price rises at the moment. We saw prices, wheat prices in particular, peak to levels not seen since 2007 um, in mid-May. Now that was when the USDA put out their latest uh, update report, which says precisely that that uh, Ukraine will lose about 12 million. Uh, tons and we're relying Australian production will be back as we return to normal as such. That's what ABARES are forecasting. Um, and that uh, it will be an increase in production in Canada most particularly that um, that will offset that, that loss in production elsewhere. Um, a lot of industry analysts have come out and said that's overly optimistic, that Canada's looking like not not necessarily sure to have a great year. U.S. is looking like having a poor year. India, who it was going to be one of the major exporters that would help fill that export gap from Ukraine and Russia, um, uh, has also just put on an export ban. So we don't know how that's going to going to work through a system. So there's a lot, a lot of volatility and there's a lot of jumpiness in the industry at the moment. And now, how that plays out for local prices, we have had local local uh, producers not complaining, I was going to say, mentioning for a while now that Australian prices haven't seemed to track in quite the same manner to the global prices, haven't seen quite the large jumps that that global prices have. That seems to have turned around in the past couple of weeks. In the last week alone, we've seen sort of a 15% uh, increase uh, in milling wheat and feed barley prices um, so that seems to be turning around, is that um, as as the as what's sitting in the silos from the last two years of bumper crops is being sold out, and we get round, and and people are now putting their new winter crops in the ground. So the main the main question really, outside of that those huge geopolitical issues that are going on with Russia, Ukraine, and the whole global supply chain. I mean, we have to include in there shipping, freights, logistics, all of that, which is, is 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 exceptionally difficult in making exports harder to rely on. Uh, but outside that, when it comes to domestic industry it becomes what's what's our 22, 23 crop going to look like. So with, as I said, with winter planting well underway and people and, and continuing throughout the country, we've talked to a few ANZers on the ground um, who've tried to solve for us that question of are uh, producers going to pull back because fertiliser, chemical and fuel prices are so high or are they going to go hell for they trying to take advantage of those, those really wonderful uh, global prices? The answer seems to be, Sort of somewhere in between. There's a lot of concern over the input costs, um, but uh, planting seems to be going at least on par, if not slightly higher than last year's crop. Um, so what we're expecting to see la- later on is producers trying to manage those co- those input costs by lowering perhaps their fertilizer use or their chemical use. So we might see some trade off in in yield. So in general, what we're saying is um, a, a really volatile. Uh, situation globally. Obviously, I think everyone knows that. Uh, all of it seems to be upside at the moment for the Australian crop uh, and the Australian industry, um, and and producers are out there currently trying to take advantage of it.
0: Thanks, Maddie. Yeah, I guess it won't be a month or two or three yet before we really know what's gone in the ground and the condition that it might uh, shape up uh, as, as we get closer to harvest. But I mean, the weather probably plays a role in there as well as... Um, As the rains have come to a lot of those key growing areas, you're probably feeling a bit more confident of leaning towards a bit more crop or a bit more input, um, given where prices are still, and given that you've got better confidence in growing. Um, The supply chain efficiency piece from marketing all the way through to accumulation and storage is an interesting one, isn't it? But we've, we've talked about this over the years, haven't examined it in detail lately in any of our reporting. But. You know, we're coming into perhaps another uh, fantastic production year which would make it three in a row if it happened. Um, and typically the infrastructure wouldn't necessarily be built for a peak that you see one or two in 10 years because that starts to sound relatively inefficient, doesn't it? So, um, But I guess the more and more we produce, more often you start to uh, think about, how that efficiency does play through if there's a case for more infrastructure, for example, at at port in particular. Um, but again, it's I think there'll be a lot more talk on that as we get through the year, particularly if the crop looms large. Moving on from grains, uh, sheep uh, been a been a good season, uh, been a good story. It's perhaps um, falling behind. Uh, beef when it comes to the more recent price successes? And is it a case now that we're seeing a lot of sheep uh, in the paddock that would otherwise found their way through the works if not for some of that COVID-induced supply chain restriction? Maddie, I'll hand to you to talk about this one as well, if I can, please.
3: Thanks, Mark. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. We've got a lot of heavy lambs standing around in paddocks, uh, uh, trying to stay just as heavy um, through the winter um, until they can get into the sale yards. That's essentially the story of the sheep market at the moment. So I think everyone will know that it's been it's been a fine year for sheep. It's been a good, on par with previous years, but probably, as Mike says, because we've been compa- you know you always compare that sheep, this sheep story to the cattle story, it hasn't been up there in, in, in lights as the, the, the highlight of the agriculture industry. Having said that, sheep went through its massive price increase uh, a number of years ago now. So really where we're at is consolidating those prices at this level. And we seem to be in our normal normal price pattern for this time of year. So what has been a really, a really key part of um, the yard story so far has been that restocker land prices have really come back. Um, they've, they've joined the rest, they've joined the rest of the, um, the, the, CERI categories, um, and have been doing so since the beginning of the year, um, that for one, is normal at this part of the year. People don't really tend to restock or buy or buy uh, lambs that need fattening um, at the beginning of winter, um, certainly not in the south in particular. Um, so that's both normal um, but also it, it's a market change from last year as well where that restocker hype was still going on and kept, and, and kept prices relatively high. The main problem, as Mark said, in, in the whole industry at the moment is the need to work through the block that COVID um, uh, created, so that was a lack of labour, uh, closure of processing plants, and and so forth. Um, so there's a there was for quite some time a lack of supply in 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 processes, uh, uh, freezers as such. Um, and now at the moment, they're, they're working desperately hard to get through their 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 scheduled kills. So at the moment, I believe they're booked out to the end of July. So that means that even though there's less number of lambs in the sour yard at the moment. There's not much proce- there's not much processor demand right here and now. So we have so we haven't seen um, so we haven't seen the, the the price increases that usually kind of come when there's where there's lower demand in the sour yard. So that backlog um, is really sort of holding up the whole system at the moment, and, we- and it's also back through to number of yardings, obviously the slaughter rate as well. So, for the year to May, we're down massively in yardings, um, most particularly in Tasmania, in South Australia and in WA. Um, So, in those states, as Mike said, we'll have a lot of heavy lambs um, standing around, which will hit the market later. Um, So, we would expect that to keep prices, particularly in that category, lower uh, in, in through the through the rest of winter, um, there's also a a bit of a, a a glitch you'd have to say in western Australia at the moment where you' see in the West Australia trade lamb indicator uh, trading around four hundred cents lower than the than the eastern one. Um, by all reports that's again due to a processing issue that's a lack of labor lack of labor in the abattoirs um, and that again is is feeding through to that trade lamb demand so in in essence, we we should see the rest of winter being a time where the sheep industry um, works through a lot of the issues that are hanging over from COVID. And we're hoping, and I would expect to see we would come into spring with a bit of renewed optimism and a bit of a, a renewed spurt to the industry. Indeed, I've seen quite a few industry analysts saying that they're expecting to see trade lambs go over a thousand cents when they're coming when we come into spring. Um that's based not only on you know, the the a bit of a renewed kick to the industry, but also that exports are doing particular, particularly well at the moment or, or are growing to do particularly well. Um, most particularly, interestingly, in the United States, where I've, I've seen some people say that uh, lamb and mutton are the new Wagyu over there, which could be of interest for our little industry. So in essence, we are still, the, the sheep industry, is still working through some issues just of capacity, processing, demand, uh, numbers in the paddocks and the flock rebuild. Um, but that should sort of start to work through the system in the next coming months and we'll we'll um, come out of it with a bit of a boost into spring, I would think.
0: Well, I wonder what the Wagyu of sheep brand <laughs> breed actually is. That may be something for next time, Maddie. Um, the one thing, we do tend to look at commodity prices through the eyes of the producer and some of the heights that we're seeing, of course... Um, creates different pressure points through the supply chain for the processes, and, and also to the shelf at the consumer level where you've got another objective in trying to maintain uh, food costs for for consumers uh, here, and, and that effort is replicated around the world. So there are a range of sensitivities in that, and sometimes high, higher and higher prices aren't necessarily the perfect outcome if it starts to impact demand or create difficulties for the supply chain. So I think that's a really interesting balance to watch as well over the next few months as um, everybody grapples with that. Uh, Over to wool, um, the other half, third, two thirds of sheep, depending on which sort of uh, location you're in and what breed you're running. uh, Are we seeing change in wool based on the sort of return to movement spending In key economies, or is that something that's uh, still eluding us?
3: In short, yes, uh, but we're being held up by other factors at the moment. So we've got the eastern market indicators trading as at today around about a a bit over 1400 cents, um, which is a lot of industry analysts are suggesting is probably a couple of hundred cents lower than where they would expect it or think it should be at the moment. That's based off. A number of factors. Uh, the most. The, the most outstanding factor is China, um, the lockdowns in China um, and also shipping to and to China and the fact that a lot of the little mills there aren't actually receiving the wool that they have bought and paid for in a timely manner. And that then kicks on to how how much uh, cash they have available to make new orders um, when they haven't actually sold their produce at the other end. So that uh, is having an impact at the moment and meaning that the eastern market indicator is sort of moving around a little bit but isn't sort of making any vast, vast movements in a- any direction. Um, and actually, if you look at it um, in a US dollar um, in terms that it's actually pretty stable in and around where it is, and most of the, the movements we're seeing on a week-to-week basis um, are actually changes in in, in the Aussie dollar, um, not so much a change in, 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 um, in demand. So, what we are seeing um, also is that we've had um, an increased uh, a number of bales go through the auction houses, uh, which is unsurprising. But the amount that's gone through is starting to suggest that some of that backlog that was sitting in sheds for a number of years there after the after the wool price took a big dip, um, most of those are starting to go through the system. That we then we might and we might shortly get to a situation where we're back at status quo and have a relatively clean slate. So that will be a good thing for the price. You would think going forward, um, and. And um, yeah, and, and as I said, in general, it's it's those um, those supply chain issues. The interesting factor has been um, that India and Europe have returned to normal, and they're actually up and kicking quite well, and 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 their demand's doing doing quite well. Uh, behind all of this is also sort of a lack of global supply at the moment for fine wool. Uh, I think everyone will have heard of the foot and mouth. Issues in South Africa and China banning uh, banning their imports. Um, now South Africa is obviously the other major fine wool producer in the in the world. Um, so one would imagine that there would be a little bit more demand for Australian wool out there than than is actually being um, displayed at the moment. So quite a few issues playing through playing through the system. But in general, the general consensus seems to be: once everything seems to reset, we should see. Uh, the EMI trading a little bit higher than where it is at the moment.
0: Thank you, Maddie. And of course, that's the reminder around our biosecurity importance and credentials when we see FMD outbreaks in other parts of the world, but particularly now near northern neighbours and, and for lumpy skin disease that we're seeing nearby as well um, has industry on alert because we really do not want those kind of issues onshore here that would um, you know disrupt our marketing effort uh, if nothing else uh, but we certainly don't want a production uh, a hit from those kind of issues coming into Australia either but by and large that's a wrap of our key commodities today uh, a pretty good news story I would have thought and um, hopefully everyone is experiencing and taking advantage of that if uh if anybody out there has a has a view, um, we're more than uh, ready and, and happy to hear it, and uh, we look forward to those conversations with everybody in the market uh, until we're here reporting again. So uh, all the best with the next couple of months in the season. Uh, thank you very much to Adelaide, Michael and Maddie for the contribution today, and from me, it's, uh, it's a goodbye. Hope you've enjoyed the edition and look forward to seeing everyone out there soon.